Welcome to ESG Energize, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here is your host, Delfina Govia. My name is Delfina Govia, and many of you know me as a partner at Veritas Total Solutions, an innovative management consulting firm where I lead the ESG practice alongside my ETRM colleagues. Okay, ESG Energized listeners, you have been pestering me to cover this topic, and I am very excited to welcome to the show Antonio Fayad, the Manager for Hydrogen Strategy and Origination at EDP Renewables North America. Antonio, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Delfina. Your mission today, Antonio, is to talk about the topic of hydrogen. But before we dump, jump into that, would you give me some background on the hydrogen team within EDP Renewables? Sure. So uh, EDP Renewables, uh, it's part of the EDP group, um, originally from Portugal. Uh, we are a global power company present in roughly 28 different geographies, um, you know, and we play across the whole value chain of power. So we have conventional generation, renewables, grids, electricity retail business. Uh, but in the U.S., with DDP Renewables North America, we are a pure, you know, renewable developer and operator. And we've been actually in the U.S. since... 2007, roughly 2007, so uh, way before, you know, developing wind and solar were, uh, let's say, mainstream. And, and so I think, you know, moving forward uh, 15 years, uh, we have developed 7 gigawatts of renewables so far across 17 states. Um, and we are the lar fourth largest uh, energy uh, renewable energy producer uh, worldwide. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because what you're doing is you're giving us the next part of the story from our broadcast a couple of weeks ago where we had Tom Weirich uh, on the show talking about his book, I Took the Risk. And in that podcast, we talk about the history of EDP renewables coming to North America. So you have just given us an update to where we are today from that 2007 uh, or origin. Yeah, sure. And, and I think you know, now we are approaching hydrogen the same way that we did with renewables back then. Uh, we see hydrogen as a, playing a large role on the decarbonization uh, of, economy, of, of the global economy, uh, mainly in hard to abate sectors where electricity will have a difficult time you know, decarbonizing those energy uses. Uh, and this might be producing fuels, producing steel, cement, uh, chemicals, fertilizers, and so the reason why, you know, the hydrogen team was created inside uh, EDP Renewables uh, in 2021, so way ahead, you know, Inflation Reduction Act, is because we thought that it made sense for, from a community point of view to achieve our, you know, carbon neutral, uh, neutrality goal uh, of EDP group by 2030, um, and because we think, it, of course, it also makes sense from a business point of view. Um, so hydrogen, we see it as scaling up much faster than renewables ever, ever did, you know? So, and so we think that this is no longer just an innovation play. Uh, we really think that this is already a business. Fantastic. What you're continuing to show is what we've all already learned 
is that EDP Renewables is very forward-thinking and very strategic in their approach to markets. Would you take a second, then, to explain to my listeners or talk about a topic that we continuously debate, and that is blue hydrogen versus green hydrogen, and does EDP Renewables have a position on blue versus green? Yes, we absolutely do. Uh, so right now, and as I mentioned, you know, we are striving for carbon neutrality within our business. And so uh, the only production method that we see compliant with that goal is, you know, green hydrogen. Uh, and I want to just give a maybe a step back when we're mentioning, you know, blue, green, there's also gray and the color nomenclature is quite widespread now, but it is indeed a, a simplification uh, in some form. So usually green refers to, you know, hydrogen produced from uh, electrolysis powered by renewables. And blue usually means the traditional methods of producing hydrogen. So steam methane reforming and autothermal reforming, but you add uh, carbon sequestration technology um, within that process. So the idea would be to reduce the carbon emissions of those traditional processes that use natural gas. Um, uh -huh. what okay, we so we're talking the green hydrogen is actually achieving the mission of renewables and reducing emissions. Yeah, so the green hydrogen is the alternative pathway to produce hydrogen without the associated carbon emissions. Okay. Um, but usually, and what we usually defend is that uh, a life cycle emission um, nomenclature is used. So not so much about you know green, blue, gray, but but more a technology agnostic uh, process, where independent on the technology that is being used, we just evaluate what is the carbon intensity. So basically, what are the carbon emissions associated with producing that hydrogen. And this is also the way that, you know, DOE uh, um, is currently putting forward uh, the, the clean hydrogen production standard in the US. Uh, so not so much focusing on technologies, but whatever the pathway is to produce hydrogen, let's just assess what's the carbon intensity of it. And if it is below a certain required threshold, then we can call it, in this case in the US, clean or renewable in, in Europe. Okay, so give us a little bit more on the technology and how that has advanced over the years because we have been having this ongoing debate about the viability of hydrogen, the, the economic viability of hydrogen, and I'm under, what I'm getting from you is, is the technology has advanced quite a bit. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yes. So electrolysis, which is basically the basic technology to produce uh, green hydrogen, uh, has actually existed for several decades now, um, but at a very small scale. Okay. And so the core technology is well understood. You know, we already know how to make it, how does it operate, you know, how to maintain it. Uh, but what the renewable industry is now trying to achieve is to use the same technology, but at a much larger scale. On a commercial scale basis. Yeah, the commercial so scale basis. economically viable. Okay. Yeah, so moving from the kilowatt level to the megawatt ah, scale, yeah. and to operate it in a condition that 
have some nuances. So before we were talking about, you know, plugging in uh, an electrolyzer um, to the to the grid, you know, so just operating at every hour of the year. Uh, the renewable industry, of course, and, and, and ourselves, we're trying to, to, to connect it to renewables and so um, to operate with a little bit more variability, you know, together with as the wind blows and, and, the, and, the, and, and the sun shines. And so, okay, so using solar power and using wind power to power the electrolysis process. Exactly. So that it's, a, it's completely renewable. Gotcha. Okay. Exactly. And, and so the scale and the operating conditions are different from what the technology has been using uh, in the past, but the technology is actually well understood. And just to give some perspective, so the global market of electrolyzers, so today in the world, or at least in 2019, so there was roughly 300 megawatts of electrolysis, so it's not a huge market. Uh, and just recently, uh, two large projects of um, electrolyzers were installed with, with each of them having roughly 20 megawatts of electrolysis. So uh, those two projects, you know, single-handed represents a large share of the existing market. And so you can see the scale-up that is already existing in the market. And we expect that uh, the electrolyzer shipping, so what manufacturers sell, has doubled for the last three years, and we expect to double or to even go threefold uh, in, the, in 2023. And so that scale-up effect is already happening. Um, and, and we expect, of course, that that scale-up gets us you know, cost savings and allow us to have more, more competitive projects with renewable hydrogen at a competitive cost. So you're seeing that for the future that this is going to continue to grow as the costs come down and make this more attractive economically, you're foreseeing that not only is the are these projects going to continue to grow, but that the technology is going to continue to evolve so that we're, it's more and more uh, feasible to put these projects into place. Am I getting that right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I think the challenge with electrolysis and renewable hydrogen, it's slightly different from uh, the challenge that we had maybe with, you know, solar panel and electric vehicles, where we were both developing the technology and scaling up at the same time. Here, the technology is a little bit more well understood. Uh, and the key, it's more scaling up manufacturing, automating the manufacturing process to really drive costs down to achieve more standardized solutions. And so the manufacturing capacity of electrolyzers is expected to uh, grow five times from today to 2025. And so just that, you know, value chain, the creation of that um, manufacturing capabilities really already, you know, scales up the industry and reduces costs. And as, as we've seen in other industries and the battery manufacturing industry, it's a good example of that, the level of automation that you can already achieve in, in, in the manufacturing process uh, is unprecedented compared to 10 years ago. And so just the scale up and the automation, we expect to really drive costs down in the, in the, in the coming years. Just out of curiosity, where are these electrolyzers produced? So right now, um, most of the manufacturing capacity is, is indeed in China. Uh, but I think second region globally, Europe, in terms of manufacturing capacity, 
um, and then Canada and, and the United States. Um, but the Inflection Reduction Act, Act that you know recently passed um, in the United States, I think addresses that well in terms of bringing industry to, to, to the United States. And we just recently had an announcement from Cummins uh, opening a new facility, uh, manufacturing facility in the US. And we do expect that you know other other uh, large players to to install new manufacturing facilities in the United States in the in the coming years. So, how do you see with with manufacturing increasing for the electrolyzers here in the United States? What about the rest, the lay of the land for the rest of the hydrogen market? What is your what is your outlook for that? Yeah, I think it's we are really at a tipping point for the hydrogen market in the U.S. Uh, maybe, you know, dividing the answer in, 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 in two blocks. So one, what does already exist, right? So hydrogen, it's a it's already a billion dollar industry in the United States. Maybe most people are, are, are not aware of that. I was not aware of that. But we, so United States consumes roughly 11 million tons of hydrogen every year. Most of that is used uh, in refineries for the, you know, for the processes that produce fuels and you know, gas. Um, and also for the production of ammonia, which is the main component of uh, fertilizers that yeah. grows you know, for crops. And so we have food available for, for, for everyone. And so uh, there's already a huge market that needs to be addressed and that needs to be decarbonized if we want to achieve you know, the United States climate goals in 2030 and 50. Uh, the additional challenge is, is how do we grow the hydrogen demand into other uses that currently have used fossil, uh, fossil fuels uh, in their process and we use hydrogen as an alternative for them to achieve the same goals but in a decarbonized way. And so those are the two, let's say, uh, challenges uh, for the hydrogen market in the US in the, in the, in the coming years. And I think if we look back in the last 24 months, um, the federal government has, you know, put in place a lot of policies to, to really help kickstart the market. Uh, we've had, you know, the hydrogen earth shot by the DOE, where the ambition is to reduce 80% of the production cost of hydrogen uh, to $1 in one decade. So it's the 111, so $1 per one kilogram in one decade. So that's the DOE's goal. We also had the infrastructure uh, bill that provided $9 billion uh, to, to you know, ramp up uh, the hydrogen value chain, with $8 billion of those being to create at least four hydrogen hubs uh, in, the, in the United States, uh, with the process of those hubs currently ongoing, uh, with the final applications being on the 7th of April uh, this year. Uh, the in infrastructure, um, in sorry, Inflation Reduction Act, you know, included uh, up to three dollars per kilogram production tax credit for for clean hydrogen, and so we can clearly see here uh, the political will of you know making the hydrogen economy grow and the clean clean hydrogen economy. So it's important to uh, to address that, and we clearly see renewable hydrogen being the the winner, you know, in, in, within that growing industry. So let me unpack that for just a minute. You said getting the cost to $1 per kilogram. Did I get that right? The production uh, cost. Production cost. Yeah. How far do we have to go? I mean, what is it at now? Yeah, so the OE estimates that uh, to get to $1, you need to reduce it by 80, 
eighty percent. So okay. the production cost uh, is roughly between five and six dollars per kilogram. Uh, you know, with current current uh, technology. With current technology, but you know the inflationary trends that we had on the economy also, of course, uh, put some pressure on the on the on the production cost, and we didn't see maybe the slight reduction from 2020 up to today. So maybe it kept a little bit the same level or even increased a little bit given labor costs and, and, and all the other uh, economy trends. But we do expect that these trends to be short term and, and to kind of we keep the same pace that we were going before. In your professional opinion, will we make that 80% reduction? I think it will be very challenging to get there in 2030, to be honest. I think it's a very aggressive schedule. Uh, maybe looking a little bit for the 2030, uh, I think we we can get there, you know, if the technology really you know achieves the uh, the production costs that 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 we need to. You also mentioned developing um, hubs. I think you said four hubs. Yes, at least four hubs. At least four hubs. Where do you see those hubs being? So uh, I think it has it has been a very interesting uh, competition between different states and regions uh, within the U.S. Uh, the infrastructural bill addresses that, I think, in a good way by making sure that DOE has to select hubs that are uh, spread out within the U.S. So uh, it's man DOE is mandated to not to choose hubs that are located close to each other. Um, and so I would expect, you know, that to allow, you know, the West Coast to the West Coast to have one, the East Coast to have one. The Gulf region, especially because all the you know existing hydrogen infrastructure, to have one as well. Uh, but so far, of course, the OE has not uh, published w w what are their let's say top uh, candidates, uh, and it's well and uh, it's well understood why they, they they didn't do that. And so, but we should have an update on that uh, on the fall this year. So, which hub will be selected by 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 the OE? I'll be shocked to see if Houston is not very close to being number one, right? So, okay, you mentioned a couple of 20 megawatt projects, uh, I, and I believe you said that they were in Europe, correct? Uh, I think one in Europe, in the Netherlands, and another one in Canada, actually. In Canada. What projects does EDP Renewables have uh, going on in the world that you can tell us about. My listeners love to hear about projects and stories. Do you have any ones that you can share with us that you're probably going to be leveraging all those, all that knowledge and expertise to bring here to North America? Sure. Uh, so we we are playing across different different fronts. Actually, we just produced our first renewable hydrogen molecule in the, on the 15th of December uh, last year. Uh, in, in a project in Brazil, actually, uh, a project that you know it's producing hydrogen within one of our uh, coal power plants in, in in Brazil from the EDP group. So um, we we have a similar project that will use hydrogen to be co-combust within our combined cycle power plant in Portugal. That that one will will go live in 2023 already. So they're both roughly the same size, 1.25 megawatts, so still at a pilot scale level. Um, but we do have uh, three large scale projects, um, one in Portugal and two in Spain, where we have an 100 megawatt vision for those places. Uh, 
And those sites, they are coal power plants. Some are already closed and some will be decommissioned until uh, 2025. Uh, those are, you know, prime locations to develop uh, large-scale hydrogen uh, projects uh, because it allows you to have a lot of synergies with the existing infrastructure. So those sites are already used for energy, right? Um, it allows you to make a just transition of the community and the workers that exist in those places and they have been working there for uh, several decades and to allow them to be reskilled into other, other purposes. Uh, and also it gives you access to a lot of industry that usually grows around you know, large power, power facilities and, and also gives us direct access to ports. So you're addressing, you're directly addressing the negative connotations associated with coal and the challenge with just shutting down coal-fired facilities because that is a, tr it's a horrible impact to the communities, even though from a global sustainability perspective, people are all for it, but that doesn't take into consideration the, the communities that are there, the workers and the people. So if I'm understanding you correctly, EDP Renewables is going in and refurbishing these facilities or replacing or upgrading these facilities and at the same time retraining the workers that are there to now work in a new modernized hydrogen facility. Did I get that right? Yeah, so that's that's the the concept. Let's say it's it's to really repurpose those facilities uh, to a renewable business, so green hydrogen, renewable power, um, and to leverage as much as possible not only on the infrastructure but on the skill workforce that exists at, at those sites. Of course, that we cannot promise that's going to be one for one. Uh, so projects have different sizes. That hydrogen needs similar but not the same skills as coal power plants uh, but we are working closely you know with the with the with the communities and with the worker at those sites to to uh, to leverage as much as possible on on, on those um, i would highlight that one of those projects uh, in Sinesh in portugal has already received uh, 30 million euros uh, support by the european commission uh, to be to be developed so we were very happy that you know the European Commission uh, recognized, let's say, uh, the strength of, of our project, and the other two in Spain, they were they were listed uh, as um, IPSE status, which is important projects of common European interest, okay. uh, which allows uh, you know state state members, so Spain in this case, to support the project uh, directly. Without having to go to you know, antitrust uh, regulation, and so we are we are very confident that those project that those three projects uh, will be really uh, you know flagship projects for EDP, and, and that allows you also to enter the United States market with a different knowledge and skills uh, when compared to, to to our competitors. Wow! So you guys are way ahead of the game with. Uh advancements in other parts of the world that we're then going to be able to benefit from here in North America. I would definitely hope so. Wow. So, all right, let's, let's get to the really important part. People listening to this, uh, businesses listening to this, executives that listen to this podcast, 
are going to want to figure out how to get uh, a little bit closer to ADP Renewables North America. So maybe probably those that need to consume or are looking to consume hydrogen uh, from an origination perspective might want to get in touch. I'm also thinking that maybe partners, people that want to invest, co-invest with uh, your organization because of your forward thinking, your advanced projects elsewhere that you're leveraging. How can we get people to fo funneled towards you, Antonio, and, and your organization? Uh, thank you, Delfina. Uh, so, um, of course, you know, our website, edpr.com, um, uh, it's the most, let's say, publicly available uh, tool that you can reach out to us. Um, I, I will add, you know, my, my, my email and contacts on, on, on okay, we if, if possible. Yeah, yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. We'll put edpr.com and Antonio Payad, his, his email address, if folks want to get in touch directly with him, uh, maybe to co-invest or for origination, because his title was uh, Manager for Hydrogen Strategy and Origination, so I'm sure he'd be willing to hear those, those uh, get those emails as well. We'll put that in the show notes. Antonio, any parting thoughts on this space for my listeners? What do you really want people to, to walk away with when they think about hydrogen? Yeah, I think they should, you know, come, like have the message that hydrogen is really a key enabler of the decarbonization of the economy. Uh, and that if you really want to, you know, to get there, uh, hydrogen will play a large role. And so it, it, it's currently undeniable that we'll have a, uh, a growing industry for, for the coming years. Thank you so much for coming on and addressing this topic that people have been pestering me to, to cover. Thank you for having me. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.